In this installment of the podcast, Mia returns to talk about several topics, mostly focusing on public health approaches to addiction and substance abuse. Enjoy. Something that you think is an enjoyable thing that I definitely don't think is an enjoyable thing is watching reality TV. Do you want to unpack that? Yes, I would actually love to. So um, reality TV is definitely one of my favorite escapes. I just think that there's definitely like something iconic about it. Like every reality TV show, like whether it's Jersey Shore or Keeping It With The Kardashians, it's like a very distinct era of time in the early 2000s. And I think no matter what's going on at the moment, if you put that on, you're just going to be like immediately brought back to the 2000s era. And like, it just completely takes away any of my stress, if that makes sense. For me, it's weird, though, that people are interested in reality TV because it's just so far from real life. Like, I think it's it's more of maybe like a personality thing, because like I'm someone who enjoys kind of like reverting back to that like childlike state of like 2008 where like the most important thing, like keeping up with the Kardashians was like Kim got a Bentley or stuff like that. But most people like wouldn't be entertained by that necessarily if they're like personality wise, more interested in like doing things and like researching things. But like for someone who's just interested in entertainment in itself, I feel like it's an enjoyable thing. I get what you're saying. Is that the same reason you like Twilight? Yeah, I would say, well, Twilight's a little different because I feel like Twilight is again, like, just a very distinct and nostalgic era. Like I can remember in 2008 when it came out, like everyone went to the theater to watch it and it was a super big thing. And like every movie after that, New Moon, Eclipse, Breaking Dawn, it was just, you always went to go see it. And like, I don't know, it was just super distinct. And I'm not saying it was good. Like I've definitely rewatched them since they put them on Netflix and the acting was in fact terrible, but it's just so nostalgic that even if it's bad, I'll just continue to watch it because it's just iconic in itself. Hmm. I mean, do you think that you've been influenced to like keeping up with the Kardashians and Twilight and all that stuff? Do you think that you would still like it if not for like these previous experiences you had with them? See, I'm not too sure about that because I just feel like in rea- like in general, reality TV, I didn't really like... I don't know there was a brief period of time whenever I stopped watching it like I would say like from like 2014 to 2017 but then like once I got into college like I would just start watching it in my free time again and I remembered how like obsessed I was with it at one point and like Jersey Shore I was obsessed with that too and so I don't know if it's necessarily an influenced thing because I always even when I was younger enjoyed watching it I think I had just moved away from it for a period and then kind of refound it but I will say with clothes, I think I can definitely see more of like an influential trend with that, but not as much TV shows for me, especially when it's like something more pop culture like that or um, reality TV. Do you think that kind of in like a more philosophical way, like kind of at the baseline, like everything that we like is influenced in some way? You know what I mean? Like, don't we have all these like micro influences over our life course that makes us enjoy certain things? Like... I guess you could say so to some extent however I think that like nowadays with social media like being influenced is definitely more common and like there's a lot of examples I can think of like the main one I think of is like Crocs I feel like quite a few years ago everyone kind of came to the general consensus that Crocs were ugly like we weren't mm. gonna wear Crocs nobody liked them but then recently 
Um, I would say like senior year of high school and even the past few years, Crocs have kind of become back in style. And like there's even like the Balenciaga Crocs and like people genuinely wear Crocs. And now it's just confusing because we had all come to the consensus that they were ugly. But then when you have like influencers and um, any sort of like partnerships with them or you just see people wearing them more often on social media or just in real life, I think it kind of grows on people and people pick up the trend and you become influenced to like it. So like I personally don't like Crocs, but after seeing people wear them for so much, you kind of, it grows on you and you're like, wait a minute, like those aren't that bad. And you kind of pick you up think, on it and start to wear them. You think it's because of familiarity? Yeah, for sure. I think it's familiarity because, which it, it's kind of similar to what you were saying, but um, I just think that, uh, and nowadays, again, it's like really common with social media. There's so many things that like the first time I saw it, um, maybe whether it's on like my, like my feed for whether Twitter, Instagram, doesn't matter where it was, but like whether I just saw it the first time, I was like, that's kind of ugly. <laughs> like I I definitely like look at stuff and I'll make my first judgment or opinion and a lot of things I do not like. And then I'll notice like a couple weeks later, maybe a month later after I've been seeing it show up countless times on my feed or in advertisements or even just in person seeing people wear it, it'll start to grow on me. And then maybe like if I see a, a deal going on or something, then I feel compulsed to buy it because although I didn't originally like the piece when I first saw it, over time seeing it so much it is going to grow on you because of familiarity so you become influenced to like it and I think that's kind of the problem with a lot of like fast fashion and clothes is that Mm. trends just move so fast and I think it's so easy to be influenced to like things and something that I wouldn't normally buy because again I originally was like this is ugly why would I wear this you kind of see it so many times that it grows on you and then eventually you're just influenced to buy it and I think it's potentially like a very wasteful Okay. Um, yeah, that, that's what I was gonna. That, that's what I was gonna ask. I was wondering if you thought it was a bad thing because because of any particular reason. Because like to me, in itself, being influenced doesn't seem like necessarily that bad of a thing. But if it means like an increase of wasted things, then I, then I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I definitely think like in general, like I mean, the, even before social media influencing has been around, like it's always been a thing. You know, athleisure used to not be common, and then over time it just was influenced to become a thing and people started wearing it but I think just with the way that we have so much social media nowadays that it can actually be a bad thing because it's not just a normal pace of being influenced and trends that still will stay on trend for a normal period of time but you get things that are just like micro trends and they'll be trendy for maybe like a month at most and then it's like you spent so much money on this item a lot of work went into making the item but then it's going to end up in a landfill or something because it's just no longer in trend, especially with a lot of like very eye catching trends or super unique things mm. that you can't rewear a lot. It's super common that people will wear it a couple times and then just ditch the item because it's no longer in trend right. and they don't have any more uses for it. So it does become very wasteful. And I think um, influencers can become kind of a problem when it, is to the point like that where these items are honestly not that cute but people are just out of familiarity being kind of compulsed into buying them and then you buy stuff you don't actually really like and you don't wear it for a long enough period of time to where it becomes sustainable and actually useful so do you think like the fashion industry has basically made i I don't know if this would be an accurate way of describing it but you can tell me do you think it's almost like they've manufactured like single-use clothes almost almost like in the way that we treat our clothes 
Oh, for sure. I think like compared to earlier times, like 2008, we probably wear our, time, our clothes like two to three times less than we did then. Like, and that's just a couple years difference. I mean, if you think about like a long time ago, like even beyond the early before the 2000s, I think people would wear their clothes for a much longer period of time than we do nowadays. And even things like, like you think of like Levi's, like you can find Levi's from so long ago, like vintage Levi's that are still in great condition but you can't really say the same for like pieces that were bought from fashion industries where the, the pieces were just made because they were on trend at the time. And they were like, maybe on, they were like brand new for like a week. And then two weeks later, the store put them on sale and then someone bought it because it was super cheap and only wore it a couple times. And then again, it was a trend. It was a very short lived trend. So they got rid of the piece and then it just goes to waste. So I do think it can be kind of toxic in that way. It's it's also worth saying that like these these fast fashion items like when they go on sale, you're not talking about like something that's inaccessible at all. You're talking about something that's like I think like on sale. I've seen stuff for like I think as low as like four or five dollars for like a t-shirt or like a pair of shorts or something like that. And that's just like kind of ridiculous when you think of I don't know the <laughs> for many reasons, but. Yeah, for sure. I see yeah. what you're saying. Because like I'm talking about like, like Levi's, like Levi's is a brand you think of and you think of like long wear and sustainability. You get a pair of jeans and you're not supposed to just like wear the jeans once or twice and then get rid of them. Like they're more expensive, but they're right. also better quality and you're going to wear them for longer and they could last you a very long period of time as long as they fit you for honestly. Even same thing right. with like Doc Martens. I think like those are a shoe that will last you a lifetime. Like you get one pair of Doc Martens, you could wear them forever. You know, they're just really good quality shoes, but that's why they're so expensive. And I'm not saying necessarily like, I know a lot of people will buy fast fashion because it's what they can afford. And that's fine because I do know there's a lot of people who mm. can buy something from a fast fashion business and they'll make it last a long time because they actually take care of their clothes and they're not just buying these trend pieces. They're buying staples that they wear every day. But I think um, a very small percentage of the clothes that are produced in fast fashion industries are actually basics and staples. And a lot of them are just mm. like fast, hot trend items that are going to go on the racks for a week before they go on sale. And then they're going to end up in someone's closet worn a couple times and then, you know, either thrown away or like sent to the thrift store. And right. again, a lot of stuff that ends up in thrift stores also gets thrown away. There's just so much like overuse and overproduction in clothes. That, that's what I was going to say. It almost seems like accessibility in fast fashion. While it's a good thing in some way, it's also kind of just like this double-edged sword where you are essentially making the barrier for, I guess, buying clothes so low that they can just be treated like as completely disposable. Yeah, and for sure. And you see that all the time, especially like there's a lot of people who like buy a brand new outfit for their birthday or buy just to wear like mm. one time. And then after that, you know, you don't see yourself wearing it that much. And of course, for special occasions, like I definitely think everyone can like treat themselves in some ways and buy something for a special occasion. But I just think it's become so accessible, like you're saying, to just buy something and wear it literally once and then be okay with just getting rid of it because you only spent $4 on it right. um, versus like buying quality pieces that you're going to wear multiple times because you invested in them. But then again, it is still good to have fast fashion as an option for people who do um, need it and they actually can take care of those clothing items and they're not just going to use them like they're disposable. But I do think that like when you go on YouTube and you see like, um, a lot of fashion bloggers doing like $500 haul at Shein <laughs> or something like that. And they bought like 
a hundred shirts and it's just like an insane quantity of clothes. Well, with that like $500, you probably could have bought a couple quality pieces that you would long-term wear rather than just getting 500 shirts that are just super on trend at the moment and you're not going to wear in six months. Yeah, but I totally get what you're saying. In that vein, though, there's also kind of the opposite end of accessibility where I, it's it's referred to constantly as like luxury. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of in that vein of, of being influenced, I remember you mentioned to me that like if you were to ever like Frank Ocean's new line of jewelry, which is Homer, mm-hmm. you would only like it because you were influenced to like it, not because you actually like it, which For I think sure. is an interest an interesting thing to say. Yeah, I'll kind of explain about that. So for one, with with his line, Homer, um, it for one was just not what I expected. So whenever I heard that like Frank Ocean was coming out with jewelry, I assumed like, well, he's probably going to aim it towards his fan base. And it would be just a general, of course, it's not going to be like really cheap jewelry or anything because no jewelry is cheap, honestly. But I just figured it would be... Um, not like a luxury brand, I guess, because like you have people like Kim Kardashian... Um, where they, they are very famous people, but they come up with their own brand and, but she aimed to make it more to her fan base. So all of her stuff, whether it's skims or her fragrances, these are not luxury brands. Although she herself uses luxury brands, what she produced is meant for her consumers. And she, I think she has that basic understanding that people are not going to be purchasing luxury brands if you're trying to reach your like general fan base. Um, but I think I was just surprised because I didn't expect him to be producing a luxury brand. I mean, when you think of luxury brands like Marc Jacobs, Prada, stuff like that, these are like very well-developed brands that have been around for a long time. And so it makes sense that their price points are where they're at. But whenever I saw his jewelry and I saw the price points, I mean, yes, it was Mm. luxury brand price points, but I also just don't think he has the development behind it and the time, you know, like it's just not as, Um, iconic I would say as other luxury brands that are just known as luxury brands so it's interesting that he could start out with a price point like that when he's for one like I don't know what he's operating but based off of I thought it would be his fan base but obviously not because you know that's just not accessible (laughs) for average day people who like are his fans but I don't know if that makes sense but that's like one thing I just didn't expect it and then also I just didn't think it was the cutest to be honest like like I said I feel like a lot of people should be aiming towards getting stuff that they can wear every day. Or even if it's not like, I'm not saying like it can't be a unique piece, but it has to be something you genuinely like and wear like, or will wear every day. I just didn't see those Mm. as anything that I would wear every day. They don't really match the rest of my clothing. They don't really. Yeah. They're all super, they're all super distinctive. Like for sure. They're very unique pieces. And again, some people will wear unique pieces a lot. But I feel like that's someone who's in the fashion industry or a rapper or someone who is doing it to flex, um, yeah, yeah. if you want to use that word. I just don't think every day, like, I'm not going to wear that to go work at the hospital. I'm not going to wear that to go to class. Like, the pendants that he sold are very, like you said, unique pieces. But they're almost so much, like, especially like enamel, some of the enamel right. pieces he made. Enamel has been on trend, I'd say, for the past, like, few months. Um, yeah. seen, like, those big, chunky rings girls wear. And like all the bright, fun colors. And it's cute. But again, it's a trend that's probably not going to live for very long. So I just, I can't even like consider spending that much money on a piece like that because you're not going to wear it that much. You can't wear it every day. And it's just insanely expensive. It's also worth noting that 
uh, there's no way I would pay like ten thousand dollars for a piece of enamel uh, enamel jewelry. Yeah, exactly. You know and that's I mean? the thing. Like I get like the gold jewelry and the silver, but you're selling these like enamel pieces, which are trend pieces. They're going to be short lived again, unless you're like a rapper or someone in the fashion industry whose main goal is dressing to look a certain way. But an everyday person is not going to be wearing something like that. It's just not going to match their clothes. It's going to look funny. Someone's like, what are you wearing? Like this colorful orb thing around your neck. Like, I don't know. I just definitely, I have a couple reasons as to why I'm not a fan of it, but I think those are like the biggest ones. Yeah. And, and going back to what you said about kind of just him using, it, it seems to me like he's starting this brand, but he's very much so doing it off of his name. Whereas mm-hmm. if you like look at the development of like a, a brand like Louis Vuitton or, or Gucci or Prada, like these are like the names of like the fashion designers behind them who were not famous before they made the brand typically. So it's like, it's, it's interesting that they got famous by making good pieces, but it seems like Frank Ocean is doing kind of like the reverse process and using his fame to make his, his pieces worth more, I guess. I mean, exactly. Yeah. I I mean, as somebody who likes his music, uh, I'm also not a big fan of his business practices and other domains, as you know, but, (laughs) (laughs) but so, so actually, yeah, that's a good disclaimer is that, you know, I ordered something from, from <laughs> Frank Ocean, I don't know, like two years ago, and it just arrived, uh, I don't know, maybe a, a month ago, two weeks ago. So yeah. that's kind of the, the, the business, the business practices Model, of, yeah, yeah that, that you're working with. I've heard that Homer is a little bit better, but I, I think it was kind of just like weird to hear him come out and say, like that part of his objective was to make a brand like Cartier. I think he said he, 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 he wants his brand to have that sort of reputation. Right. Which, like a luxury brand. Yeah. Which it's all good to have, want a luxury brand, but he distinctively said it. If I'm recalling correctly, he said that in the context of it being a luxury brand price wise. So he's not into like the idea of like, making things like kind of making these luxurious items uh you know accessible he's just more so kind of like sticking with you know the 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 general way that luxury fashion has been run which i think it would have been an opportunity kind of for him to flip that on its head but then again he's he's never had the best uh (laughs) the best uh consumer oriented business practices right i just don't see the long term like after this one line, I mean, also, I feel like he's someone who doesn't really produce a lot of stuff. Like, you know, like a lot of people are always like, oh, where's this next uh, album, another album? I think this is going to be one of those things like similar to music where like he produced this one line, but then like, when are you going to see something else again produced by Homer? And then also like, if he wanted to go for a luxury brand thing, why didn't he just collaborate with a luxury brand? I'm sure like, I know Devin Lee Carlson, she collaborates with Marc Jacobs. This is like Recently, she just had her second collaboration with them. And I just think that that would have been something more useful for him to do rather than creating his own luxury brand Mm. with no basis of luxury brand history. And then also producing pieces that are super unique. I mean, I just don't know, like, and I also like, I don't know. Do you know anything like if all the stuff he's produced, like if it sells out, like, no, it, it most definitely doesn't sell out because you can still get appointments uh, 
at at his store in New York. And that's one of the weird things. It's not like fashion. I mean, like, except for the scarves, I think like all of it is mostly jewelry oriented, which is weird because like jewelry, like jewelry made, it's not even just jewelry made, jewelry priced at, at price points like, you know, $10,000, $30,000. Okay. I think he's got like a, like a, I think it's like $150,000 piece uh, for one of the items. Like right. that's just not, that's just not something the average person can like do for fun. Oh, for I sure. Mean, People like that's like you buy a wedding ring, like one time yeah. in your life and you spend that much money on a piece of jewelry, but yeah. you don't like an every, like a necklace like that, especially like we said, one that's so like unique and you are not going to be able to wear it every day. Hmm. You can't just, you know, spend that much money on a piece like that. It's just not ethical. Yeah, given the alternatives, what you could do with the money, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, in my opinion, at least. And I know there is different people. There are some people who love luxury brands and they will be willing to spend that much money on an item. Mm. I just think that's not what his fan base is. And like, I personally would not be okay with spending that much money on a, on a single piece of jewelry that I'm not going to wear every single day for the rest of my life. But you're just not going to get the use out of it. Kind of uh, something that you have been getting the use out of. You were telling me about these electric scooters that just kind of <laughs> appeared out of nowhere uh, on, our, on uh, the streets of Gainesville that you've just been riding around. Yeah, you know, honestly, those just kind of spawned out of nowhere. So I don't know, like, what happened one night? Somebody just, like, created this mass effort to put these scooters all around campus. But um, Gainesville has recently gotten the electric scooters. I'm sure like everyone's probably seen them in places like Orlando or bigger cities, but we did get them in Gainesville and I'm not going to lie. Like they're very fun to ride and they go like 14 to 20 miles per hour. So it's like, you can, you can kind of ride in the bike lane and like, you're not going to disrupt traffic or anything, but, and they are really convenient because if you're, if you miss the bus, you know, like, especially, um, where I'm located, like there's one bus route, but it only comes once every like 20 to 40 minutes. So if you miss the bus, you know, and your, your walk to class is definitely not walkable, then, you know, you need some other way to get there. And if you don't have a bike, I think the scooters are super convenient. Hmm. So I do definitely understand why they have them, but recently they did this thing where the first week of class, they had an orientation pass and I had misunderstood. <laughs> I thought this was the literal spin pass the bikes are called spins and um i thought it was the general pass and like for the end of time it would be that price it was five dollars for 24 hours which is pretty reasonable if you're considering you know like the time you save rather than taking the bus and if you get to use it unlimited for 24 hours five dollars is really not that bad compared to like the hourly flat rate that they have mm. so I was like, okay, this isn't that bad. The first week of class, I only have class Tuesdays, Thursdays. So it's like, you know what? I'm just going to, just going to pay the $5. I'm going to take the, the um, scooter. It'll be so much faster than waiting for the bus. Like it'll be worth saving my time. And then I was fine with the $5. The next week though, again, I was not going to rely on the bus. So I did not leave in enough time to take the bus but I had got to the scooter and pulled out my phone to go on the app and purchase the 24 hour pass. Hmm. And they had raised the cost to $10 for 24 hours, which is definitely 
in my opinion, not worth it because within the range of distance where you can ride the scooter, the most you're going to spend going one, one way is like $7. Mm. So if you're going to go one way to class and one way back, that's $14. You're really only saving $4 by getting that $10 pass. But I could, I could kind of like be okay with the $5 because I was saving you know, more money, like $9 as compared to just four. So I just think that the fact that it's no longer that $5 price makes it, in my opinion, not worth purchasing. But I do see the the economic reasoning behind them putting them out here. I just think that it was kind of vicious the way that they <laughs> advertised that orientation pass. And then I don't know where they just upped the price. And I, I mean, I would have been okay with that if they had said the first week, the pass is $5. This is only for the first week of class. Next week, it's going to be raised. Cause then I would have planned accordingly to take the bus, but I literally had to pay $10 for a 24 hour pass because I had already waited too long to leave. Like, yeah, they kind of, I, ex- they kind of extorted you. Exactly. I just felt like I had been taken advantage of by the spin app. And so <laughs> I'm definitely not a fan of those. I will not be taking those again. They will never see my face again on those scooters. <laughs> but um, I do I do think they can be useful. And um, I have heard that they do deal. So like for healthcare workers, they do um, like, I think you get five free rides a day. But I mean, also most people are just going to park in the parking um, lot. So... <laughs> if they have a car. So I, I do think that people who maybe don't have a vehicle um, would potentially really like be able to use these scooters. But I just think the fact that they raised the price for that 24 hour pass to a right. point where like, you're not really even saving that much money is kind of frustrating. Kind of, kind of in another vein, uh, or actually to switch the conversation up completely. What have you been learning about recently? <laughs> is something so, that you were telling me about the other day. Yeah, so um, I recently in my classes that I will be taking the bus to because of the spin scooters, um, <laughs> I've been um, taking a course about substance abuse. And so, but the difference in this class is that it's not necessarily like your traditional substance abuse class right. where you're going to be learning about like the chemical makeup of substances and what are its physical impacts on the body? Like how do people behave um, when they're on substances? But it takes it more at like a public health lens. So it kind of will really challenge the stereotypes of addiction and aim to kind of discover the primary determinants and outcomes of substance abuse in our society. And it also will kind of consider like the impact of the social climate on substance abuse as well. So I just kind of like respect learning about that a little bit more because you can pull out like, google and look up any drug composition impacts on behavior right um symptoms stuff like that but i think that it takes a lot more critical thinking to actually consider determinants like what causes people to use drugs and um develop an addiction and what are the Mm -hmm. outcomes of addiction because that is the importance and how we're going to consider like tackling the problem itself especially from a public health lens where you're looking to just reduce harm to the general population so um yeah I think that that has been my favorite class so far um and just like in general I really like the idea how we like challenge the stereotypes of addiction because um in general when people think of an addict they're most likely going to think about illicit drugs opioids prescription drugs heroin etc but in reality that's not the everyday addict that like people often deal with if they do work in like a counseling setting 
You know, out of the 20.1 million people in the U.S. who are over the age of 12 and have a substance use disorder in the past year, 15.1 million of those people um, have their substance abuse disorder with alcohol. So that's three fourths of that um, group of people who do have a substance Mm. use disorder. It's, It's actually with alcohol, which is a legal substance. So majority of our substance use disorders are dealing with alcohol. And it is interesting because we think of that as a legal substance and we don't right. really, you know, think much of it. But in, whenever you think of a drug addict, people are going to think of someone who's like heroin or crack or something like that. But could, it's really not the case. Is tobacco use considered like, a, could, could that ever be a substance use disorder? Um, I've just never not, really. Yeah. yeah, that's not really something that's necessarily. I mean, some people talk about nicotine as being a, a something you can have a substance use disorder with, but tobacco in and of itself is not really considered like a substance abuse disorder because it's not necessarily addictive as much as the nicotine within the product is addictive. So, I but could you say, could you have like nicotine substance use disorder? Yeah, definitely that can be something. To be honest, like in the statistics, they don't really mention that. So I don't know if it's just because, you know, yeah. there's a difference between like dependency and substance use disorder. So I don't know if they just classify like nicotine overuse as being a dependency and they yeah. don't consider because, you know, if it's not nicotine doesn't necessarily impact people's ability to interact with everyday life. So you can, mm. you know, vape or smoke cigarettes or like obtain nicotine and still go to work or go to class and pick up your kids from school and, mm. you know, not get into any sort of legal conflicts Trouble. or problems that you typically will with like alcohol, you can get a DUI or mm. other drugs are obviously like illegal. So I think that that's the main reason. And that in these studies that they don't really mention nicotine um, within the statistics or within the literature, but that is actually a pretty interesting thing. Cause I wonder if they, did start to classify nicotine as a um, substance you could have a substance abuse disorder with. I wonder how that would stand in comparison to like alcohol, but I just think since it doesn't right. impact um, everybody's yeah. daily life, it's just not considered a disorder. It's kind of like caffeine where like, right? Addi- addi- yeah, I think addiction to nicotine and addiction to caffeine are sort of like normalized addictions. Like people don't really look at them as I think tobacco has definitely changed, but I think a lot of people look at vaping and don't see it like as harmful as, you know, people see like cigarettes or. Oh, for sure. Cause it is pretty interesting. Like how we have like, you know, alcohol and tobacco and those are legal things, but the health impacts are horrible. And so like, oftentimes people think, Oh, it's legal. Like it's, Hmm. we were given the green light, everything's fine. Like we can use this substance, but it actually is truly like problematic. And like you said, caffeine and um, like nicotine, you know, those are two things that again, people often, although like we know the health effects of them, people still will use them. And since they're not illegal necessarily, people just, you know, don't see the problem with using them or the health impacts. Like, I wonder what percentage of the, of this country is like addicted to caffeine, for instance. Like I, I think it's, I, I know it's definitely like the most commonly used drug around the world but it's just interesting because we typically don't even think about it as a drug and I think if we were to look at like people's dependency on caffeine I I think it'd be kind of kind of interesting to see because like I'm sort of like half dependent on caffeine and I don't even like I don't consider myself like a a drug user every time I take (laughs) every time I drink coffee for sure and it is interesting because like I typically whenever I think of like addiction I think of like oh like is there like a withdrawal period with this like if somebody tries to like 
withdrawal from using the substance? Are they going to undergo like withdrawal symptoms? And it is interesting because people with caffeine and nicotine, um, like, I guess if you want to call it addiction, um, they will experience symptoms when they try to, you know, like stop using the substance of either caffeine or nicotine, and they Mm -hmm. will feel the urge to use it just as you would any other addiction. So it is interesting that like in the literature, those two are kind of like skipped over, but it is a good point to think about. But do you have to have withdrawal for it to be considered like an addiction? Oh, no, that's that's not okay. like one of the classifications. Yeah, or anything, I but thinking. I just in general, whenever I think of like addiction, like a lot of times we talk about like withdrawal. And it is um, just interesting that people who use nicotine or caffeine can have withdrawal symptoms. So, yeah. How do people typically like I, I know you've only been in the class for a little bit, but I, I'd imagine you've already gotten kind of a perspective for it because it seems like something that would have been touched on which is like, how do people typically, I don't know, conceptualize substance abuse? Like I learned about it in, in a few of my substance abuse courses, but I'm sure that like from a public health angle, you've gotten a whole different picture. Yeah. So basically like there's three main theories that aim to kind of explain what causes addiction. And so there's the disease or medical model, the behavioral or environmental model, and then the academic model. Hmm. So starting with like the disease or the medical model, so to speak, this is going to emphasize the um, physiological effects of drugs as the cause of addiction. So this is going to explain the way that drugs will impact the nucleus accumbens, which is basically the brain's like reward pathway. You also have the fact that it dulls the prefrontal cortex and this can impact our impulse control and allows addicts to like give into the cravings. And then you also just have the actual craving portion, which is the irresistible urge to use the substance. So like these are all physiological effects that can be um, described from you know having an addiction and so this would be like the disease or medical model and basically saying that like addiction is a disease and it's caused by these physiological impacts but then the behavioral Mm -hmm. or environmental model is a lot different from that because it's actually emphasizing the environmental factors to be the cause of the addiction so these can be things like abuse peer pressure anger um, any sort of loss etc which will lead people ultimately to seek use and continue to use drugs as a way to just numb themselves um but this is like an interesting aspect too because you can kind of think of addiction as the symptom or the manifestation of the actual disease which is that underlying trauma or problem that caused the person to seek out the drugs or the substance that they're using so um i would say that the behavioral or environmental model is for sure the um the best model that will put it in a public health perspective or right. lens. Uh, but then you also have the academic model and this one's um, more self-explanatory. It's just focuses on the fact that genetics are the cause of addiction. So meaning like a person who's genetically predisposed to become an addict is going to be more likely to become addicted to a substance. So hmm. again, this is kind of based on like family history. And if you have, you know, people in your family who have suffered with a substance use disorder, you are more likely to also have one. So with the behavioral disorder, you're saying that's kind of like the most public health related because that is the, is the approach that would give you practical solutions to, to dealing with substance abuse. Is that why? Yeah, because ultimately, um, whenever you think of like a public health approach, you're not going to think of necessarily like the medical model where you're going to think of like, I, I guess an example for a solution of like a medical model would be like a methadone program or some sort of like model where you're going to use chemical like makeup and you know physiological reasoning to like solve the problem 
Whereas a behavioral or environmental model, like thinking of addiction that way, you're going to want to have the person go into rehab or counseling where they're going to actually receive um, evaluation for what's causing the problem, whether it's a trauma or a loss and like address the emotions and the environmental impacts behind that rather than just, you know, the physiological aspects of the addiction. Right. And you were telling me sort of in line with that, you were telling me about, uh, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like a study that was done with rats and it was like showing like states of deprivation, I think. Yeah. So like, um, like I said, like, you know, you can look at these three models and in essence, like these models are supposed to complement each other and um, they're meant to be all viewed together as one, but a lot of countries will actually like try to emphasize one of these models. So an example that would be like the United States where we emphasize mm. the disease or the medical model. And right. we tend to like put the other two in the background. And so like there are pros and cons to this, you know, like the pros to having a medical model view would be um, somebody has like less guilt and burden that is placed on the individual. So they're mm. more likely to seek help since it's considered a disease and it's a medical problem that's physiologically impacting them. And it's not so much their control. So if you're not as guilty and you're not like, you know, burdened by it, some people are just so consumed by that guilt and burden of their addiction and like the impact they've had on their family that they just don't even seek help because they just feel so guilty about it. So that's like one pro to calling it a disease is that like people actually want to seek help and they, they don't feel as much like it's their fault. Mm. But like the contrary to that is that it kind of takes the responsibility off of the person struggling with addiction and becomes an excuse for them to continue using. So that's like a con. And then again, some more pros, like your family's more likely to be supportive and you'll have a support system that can be influential for someone struggling with addiction. Um, if your family feels like it's a disease necessarily, and it's not just a choice, they're more likely to be supportive of you. And that's extremely helpful when struggling with addiction and insurance. Another reason. So um, a lot of people, um, if you need therapies, you will obviously have to pay for that. And so insurance is more likely to fund counseling and stuff mm. or programs for the person to seek help if it's considered a disease and not just a choice that someone is making. Kind of like how plastic surgery, if I'm choosing to get my nose redone, you know, my insurance is not going to pay for that. But if I have right. a medical issue, like my breathing is being impacted, they're going to be more willing to fund the procedure. Mm. And then just a couple more cons of like the medical model, I guess would just be, it's an interesting fact to realize that not everyone who uses substances becomes addicted to them. So, you know, like we can consider substance um, abuse or addiction a disease, but that wouldn't explain like, why do some people use drugs without becoming addicted to them um, mm. as much as others do? So like, even if you're using the same drug or the same amount, someone might be more likely to um, become addicted than someone else. And not everybody who uses becomes addicted. So you have to raise the question of why aren't all people who ever use a substance experiencing that same disease model or physiological impact when they're all doing the same drugs? Like, you know, that doesn't really explain mm. that disease or medical model. If not everybody who uses the drug experiences that same physiological impact, which causes them to have an addiction. So like, there's definitely some questions raised, but I will say that that's what kind of leads you to that experiment you're talking about that I mentioned with the rats. So right. like when you're starting to question the fact of like, is this a disease? Um, you kind of have to start thinking about like, are these societal or environmental factors more at play than the disease itself? So um, again, I'll kind of explain that experiment, but basically 
there was a um, experiment done by a scientist and there was a rat. So they took a rat and they put it into a cage, nothing else in the cage, just the rat and then two water supplies. So one water supply was just plain water and the other one was water that had cocaine in it. And so um, of course the rat that was just literally in a cage by itself started drinking the cocaine water and you know, you become addicted to it. So the rat just continually drank the cocaine water. And mm. you know, someone could say, oh yes, that's a disease. Like the, the rat was addicted physiologically to the cocaine water. But then another scientist to kind of like rebuttal that was interested in actually challenging the, the disease and medical model and wanted to see, is there environmental impacts that are also at play? So instead of just having one rat, um, he had multiple rats. And instead of just putting them in a cage, he kind of created this like rat park almost. And mm. he had like toys, wheels, um, little obstacle courses, you know, like fun colors, not just a cage, like other properties involved and other rats to interact with and, you know, objects to interact with and food and snacks, like all sorts of stuff was in the right. cage. And it was almost like a, like a rat park or like a rat society. And again, they put the two water supplies in there. There was one with cocaine and then there was one with just the plain water. And the rats were just drinking the plain water, you know, like the rats did not all become addicted and start drinking the cocaine water. And it makes sense because it just, there was no need for the rats to use the cocaine water. Like, you know, if you're trapped in a, a cage, you know, at some point you're gonna be like, okay, I'm going to get fucked up too. Like I'm going to drink the cocaine water. But like, you know, if these rats are given an environment where they have other rats and like environments to interact with in a positive manner, then there's no need for them to drink the cocaine water. They're already getting stimulation from other factors, um, if that kind of makes sense. Right. But I, I, I think that kind of almost gives the implication, and I, I'm not even saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with this. I'm just saying it seems like it gives an implication like that. I mean, in this case, it seems like if a rat was to, you know, need a drug, it seems to, it seems to be saying that like, they had no choice whether or not they were going to become addicted or not. Is that, is that fair to say? Um, or, or a person? So wait, are you saying that like the rat, say that again? Yeah. So I'm saying w when you're saying that everything in the environment changes and then, you know, the rats, the rats in a state of deprivation have the need to use a drug, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're saying it, it almost seems like you're saying like they don't that you almost don't have a choice of whether or not you would use a drug if you were in a state of deprivation. Yeah, basically, like the rat that's in the cage with nothing else. I mean, they drink plain water, they drink cocaine water, they're going to have a lot more fun on the cocaine water than they are in the plain water. So mm -hmm. the lack of stimulation they're receiving from the environment um, is therefore being substituted with the cocaine water. So they're going to keep drinking it. Hmm. if that kind of like makes sense right do you think how much do you think that extends to like human beings I mean I honestly um my professor brought up a really interesting point he said it's kind of almost like a euphemism for like you can think of like prisons like if you you know like we kind of have this whole like debate against like legalization versus decriminalization and like there's a lot to like think about because you know of course like you just want to be like oh yes let's like legalize everything mm. but um you know like alcohol is legal and you there's still a lot of people that suffer with addiction um with alcohol so not necessarily just legalizing it because again like i discussed earlier like 
sometimes when you legalize something, it makes people think that there's like a green light associated with it. And it's like, yep, good. We'll just do the drugs, do the alcohol, like whatever. It was legalized. It's good for us. Like, you know, and sometimes people will confuse that with it necessarily not being a bad thing. But I do think that um, decriminalization is extremely important because when you criminalize drugs and um, people get thrown in jail for having possession of drugs or using substances that are illegal, you're basically in essence putting them in a cage like you are a rat. Like they are no longer getting the environmental stimulation that they need. And you know, what is someone gonna do when they're just, again, in a cage, nothing else to do, sitting in a cell you know, there's obviously drugs in prison, people have access to these things, you're going to do drugs, you're going to like, continue the cycle of addiction. So it's just interesting that we don't like decriminalize drugs, and like seek to put people in rehab and give them resources such as counseling to help these issues, rather than just, you know, like we put them in a a prison and expect the problem to go away when it's like, Mm. you know, there's obviously still going to be access to drugs in prison, despite like, if you want to be blind to that problem. And then, you know, it's not really, you're, again, you're not solving, if you want to look at it from the behavioral or environmental model, which is what I personally like prefer to emphasize, mm-hmm. um, you're not addressing that underlying problem of what was originally causing the addiction or causing them to use. You're just putting them in an environment where they still no longer have the environmental um, support or simulation needed. So of course, drugs are going to be the solution. So it is definitely like an interesting um, correlation between like humans and that experiment And that like, if we were to actually focus on the environmental factors and maybe like, instead of criminalizing things, like decriminalize them and instead of sending people to jail, like send people to rehab, give people access to resources to receive help, then maybe this dependency and this addiction um, on substances wouldn't be the problem that it is currently. Thanks for listening. With any questions or concerns, feel free to email industryplant at industryplant.co. See you in another two weeks.